Welcome to Dem Talks, Our Stories, Our Voices, created by the Dementia Carers Campaign Network, a carer advocacy group supported by the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland. I'm your host, Judy Williams, and when I'm not podcasting, I'm an advocacy engagement and participation officer at the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland, and I look after the Dementia Carers Campaign Network, known as the DCCN. The topic of our episode today is hearing and brain health. And I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Ethna Heffernan, a member of the Dementia Carers Campaign Network, who helped care for her father who had vascular dementia. Dr. Sabina Brennan, neuroscientist, psychologist, brain health expert, author and former television actress. And Sarah Sheehan, chief audiologist at Hidden Hearing Ireland. Members of the DCCN want to look after their own brain health. And we are aware that hearing is a risk factor for dementia. So this podcast is to provide information for our listeners, but it's very important that if you have any concerns about your own brain health, you contact your GP for advice. Or if you have any concerns about your hearing, you contact a hearing care professional such as Hidden Hearing or the Irish Society of Hearing Aid Audiologists. You're all very welcome today and I'm going to come to you first, Ethna. You helped care for your father who had vascular dementia and I know that sadly your father passed away early last year. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yes, um, and thanks for having me here today. Um, So we're from rural Ireland and um, my father really loved the outdoors and nature and he would spend a lot of time walking and he was very active and healthy. Um, And he always had animals all throughout his life, especially um, sheep dogs, always had a dog. And um, he was a big fan of Gaelic football as well. And he also really enjoyed building things and making things. And as a person, he was very intelligent and a very witty person. Um, He always loved reading and history and he really encouraged that in myself and my sister as well. And I know the topic of today is hearing loss. And he actually did have hearing loss, which he developed as he got older. And it would be what is known as mild hearing loss. But if you work in uh, audiology practice or research, you would consider even a mild hearing loss um, as being at a level where you need some care or an intervention like hearing aids. And he did use hearing aids and um, that was something I got experience helping him with his hearing aids and helping him with the hearing loss side of things. Okay, thanks, Ethna. Thanks for sharing that about your father. It sounds like he had a lot of interests. And Ethna, since joining the DCCN, the Dementia Cares Campaign Network, in 2021, you've been very active. You've taken part in focus groups, policy consultations, you've spoken at conferences, etc. What inspired you to want to do advocacy work of this kind? I had never um, really done any proper advocacy or campaigning before. I didn't really know what to expect Um, But dementia is a very important topic to me and to a lot of other people. And um, it's something that is a growing concern for people. Um, I think people are becoming more aware of it. And there's a lot of improvement that could be made to the services for people living with dementia and their families. Um, And there could be better understanding of dementia, not just amongst the public, but also professionals in healthcare and social care as well. So that's very important to me. 
Um, so it made me want to join the campaign. And I really liked with the DCCN that um, I could do a lot of it in a flexible way. I could do it online from home, a lot of the activities. Um, because I was a carer in rural Ireland at the time. So it was important for me to have the option to not have to do everything in person. That really appealed to me. And there was a variety of activities that you could get involved in. The group are very welcoming and they're very passionate and very knowledgeable about dementia. So it's just been a pleasure to, to be involved in the campaign. Oh, that's great. I'm delighted to hear that. And it's a pleasure for us that you are involved and thank you for all the work you do for us. So, Ethna, also you are a senior research fellow with the University of Nottingham in the UK and you look at the needs of people living with coexisting dementia and hearing loss. Can you explain a little bit more about your work? Sure. Um, I started off in my research career just looking at hearing loss. And I was especially interested in how hearing loss can lead to social withdrawal and isolation. And both social withdrawal and hearing loss are associated with dementia. They are both um, risk factors for the development of dementia. So my current research focuses on people who live with dementia and hearing loss, both conditions and their families. And it's thought that actually the majority of people living with dementia also live with hearing loss. So our starting point is understanding what are their needs and what are their priorities. Really important research, Ethna. And can you talk to us a little bit about the findings from the research you've been doing? Yes, um, I've done a couple of projects recently. I looked at the needs and experiences of people who live with dementia and hearing loss and their families. And what I found is that they feel the awareness of both of those conditions separately and together is still quite limited amongst the public. And also that health and social care professionals often don't get proper training um, in relation to dementia or hearing loss as well. And a lot of environments like clinics and care homes and hospitals and GP practices are not hearing friendly and they're also not dementia friendly. And the other thing that came up in that research was that sometimes the signs of hearing loss and the signs of dementia seem to overlap or be kind of similar to one another. So this could mean that health professionals and family members might attribute someone's behaviour to dementia when it was actually due to hearing loss or the other way around. For example, if um, your loved one who lives with dementia has become very detached during conversations and has become more quiet and has seemed to lose interest in chatting to other people or even in maybe watching television or listening to music, you might put that down to their dementia. But it could actually be due to their hearing loss, at least in part. You know, people with hearing loss do tend to struggle in conversations, especially group conversations, conversations with unfamiliar people. So it might be that if you helped them with their hearing loss, for example, made sure they were wearing hearing aids or used kind of communication tactics with them, they might get more engaged and they might get more out of life. 
So if health professionals are screening someone for memory difficulties or cognitive difficulties, it's important that they take into account whether that person has hearing loss. Um, because if you're doing those assessments and you have hearing loss, it could be that you don't hear the question you've been asked or you don't hear the instructions you were given. And therefore, you might seem to have a higher level of memory or cognitive difficulties than you really do. So we need to be aware of both of these conditions and the fact that they can interact and overlap and affect one another. Ethna, I know that in the DCCN, our members have sometimes experienced frustration about how dementia risk is communicated. Would you have recommendations for professionals such as researchers, clinicians, journalists, public health officials, etc., about how the results of research on dementia risk is communicated to the public? It's an important topic and it's something that I can see from both sides, having been a carer and also being a researcher. And when you're a carer, and in particular when you're related to someone who has dementia, you do think about your own risk of developing dementia in the future. And you also look back on and reflect on why did my loved one develop dementia? You know, was there anything we could have done differently or could have changed that might have affected their risk? And you also get a lot of information about all the different factors that influence dementia risk and your brain health. And that can be a bit overwhelming. You're told, you know, you should sleep well, have a healthy diet, reduce your stress, make sure you exercise and get out and about and meet people. And that's especially difficult advice to follow when you are a carer. You can't keep on top of all those things. And so it can be quite um frustrating and also quite worrisome and as I said a bit overwhelming and then as a researcher I do get asked questions and um, by participants about dementia risk so sometimes people will want to know if I have hearing loss does that mean that I am going to develop dementia and is hearing loss one of the causes of dementia and if I wear hearing aids will that prevent me from getting dementia and it can be difficult to answer those questions because it's all very complex. We do know there's a link between dementia and hearing loss, but that doesn't mean you're definitely going to develop dementia if you have hearing loss. Um, there's lots of things that affect your risk, um, such as genetics. You know, it's not just about hearing loss. And there's different types of dementia and different types of hearing loss. So that kind of complicates things. It can be hard to summarise all this complicated information for the public in a way that is clear, but you don't want to confuse people or you don't want to make them anxious about their health. So I think researchers and professionals need to be aware it's a very, um, for some people, quite an emotional topic. Um, and also we have a responsibility to be transparent and to be accurate in what we tell people, whilst at the same time making sure it's very clear and very understandable. So in that sense, we need to collaborate with people who live with dementia and their families and the public to make sure the message is clear and that they're happy with how the message is communicated. 
Yeah, for sure. But I think what you're saying there is that the people communicating the message need to be aware of how that message is going to be received um, and the emotions it could produce, etc. Um, it's, it's a really interesting area, I suppose. And as you say, there's a lot more work in that area to do, but um, very interesting. And thanks so much for sharing all of that with us, Ethna. And I'm going to go to you now, Sabina. So hi, Sabina. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And I know you're here today to talk about hearing and brain health, but I'm sure some of our listeners will also recognise your name from your acting days, in particular as Tess Halpin in Fair City. The list of your achievements since then is very long. Neuroscientist, psychologist, brain health expert and author. And I understand you're also an adjunct assistant professor at Trinity College Dublin. Could you tell me a little bit about your career since you left Fair City and a little bit about your life? Yeah, it's been quite a while since I left Fair City. It's more than 20 years ago now. I had a very high profile role and a very high profile exit. And Ireland's a small country when it comes to acting. So I was kind of told, you know, I wouldn't there wouldn't be much work around for me for a while because um, there was discussions on radio and everything about the particular way I exited the show. Um, and so I thought that I might do an night course and um, I thought I'd like to do an I course in psychology. Actually, I rang Maynooth University and uh, I inquired about their night course and they said, well, you know, you can apply to do our full time psychology course. And I said, oh, oh, okay, well, you know, let's have a look at that. And uh, they said, well, look, you need to get your application in by five o'clock today. Oh. <laughs> and I think that was about like three thirty quarter to four. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, long story short, um, I got a place absolutely adored my um, undergrad degree. And I would say lifelong learning is a brilliant way to keep your brain sharp. And anyone who's out there who is considering that they might be too old to go to university. I was 42 when I went to university, so honestly, never too old. And I've come across individuals in Trinity who are pushing the 100 mark and they're taking courses. And it's a great way to keep your brain stimulated. Anyway, I got a scholarship to do my PhD in Trinity in the Institute of Neuroscience. So I was looking at the electrical activity in uh, the brain um, and how that impacts on our memory, etc. as we age. But while I was doing that, um, as part of the research for my PhD, I was coming across literature that had been around for quite a long time. This was since 1986. And there was one particular study which was uh, by a researcher called Katzman. And he was looking in the brains of people uh, who had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease to see was there anything about their brains that was different to people um, who didn't have a diagnosis. So his control group, the people who didn't have a diagnosis, were actually um, other people in the same nursing home um, who had died but had no diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. And actually he found um, 10 cases of cognitively people who had no diagnosis, but their brains had sufficient pathology for an actual diagnosis. So that completely sparked my interest. You know, what is it? Why is it that some people can have the disease and not show the symptoms? And that's really what my research subsequently came about is trying to understand this resilience. I have become much more passionate about raising uh, awareness um, because if you don't know, you can't do anything about mm-hmm. it. So, um very good point. Goodness, wow. And and then since then, you've also written books and so on. We're going to come on to that in a moment. But you mentioned there, Sabina, when you were talking, you said about it sparked your interest reading the 
the um, Katzman, was it? Yes. Um, so was that the thing that made you switch from, if you like, from psychology to brain health? No, because they're all interlinked. Um, no, as a child, I was always just fascinated. And I've always been interested in trying to understand humans. And that's why I became an actor. So psychology, understanding why we do the things we do was what sparked my interest. And I suppose during the course of um my research when I was a postdoctoral researcher, then, of course, my own mum was diagnosed uh, with mixed dementia. Okay. So um, I was making part of what I was doing, actually, I made a series of animations that um, explain things about dementia and answer questions about, you know, when people are concerned, etc. So actually, at that point, I can still have a very clear memory. My mum was in a hospital. She actually had delirium at this stage, which is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. She had a kidney infection and it's a message I, I would love to get out there is that um, basically that um, as we get older, our ability to mount a temperature sort of declines. Right. And a lot of us tend to think we're not sick unless we have a temperature. And so a lot of older people will get a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll check their temperature. Oh, I'm not sick. And in what happened in my mum's case, it was interfering with her quality of life. She was going to the bathroom all the time and she couldn't go to town. So she stopped drinking water. So that on top of a severe infection led to, you know, even more damage. And she ended up with delirium and in, in an acute hospital for six months. When something like that happens, it actually can um, accelerate any underlying cognitive decline. Okay. And that's very frequently happened. So if people just got that message out there, if there's, you know, any change in your urinary function, go see a doctor. It's really important. And you've got to, your brain is a very thirsty organ. It needs fluids. Um, anyway, so that was mum's kind of story. But I do remember I was making the first lot of animations when she was there. And I remember sitting on the side of her bed in the Matter Hospital and I say, Mum, look what I did. But I showed a particular video to my mum about forgetting things. And and, and and she was like, she said, oh, that's me. That's me. And this was in the midst of her, her delirium that it actually kind of even resonated with her. But um, also, if, if you don't mind me saying there, I, I really loved the way that you started this podcast with asking Ethna about her dad and her lovely description about mm. the human being that her dad was. And because I think particularly with dementia, People forget about the person and the focus is just on the disease. Mm. I think sometimes we can be over serious in the company. And I'll say this. I mean, you know, there was members of my family and I I, I sort of felt they went in to pet my mum. Are you okay? (laughs) You know, and kind of would rub her hand and 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 that leaves the person as a patient always. Mm. Yes. Instead of just, uh, you know, a person. person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I think that's a critical. So I love, absolutely love that you started this Mm. with uh, describing a human being rather than just talking about the disease. Absolutely. And it was lovely to hear about Ethna's father. And thank you for that, Sabina. That's really lovely. And actually, you mentioned your animations and I remember them. They were fantastic. And maybe you'd like to just tell us the website that they're on. Um, 
Yeah, probably the best bet is if you go to, I have a podcast called Superbrain. So if you go to a website called superbrain.ie, mm-hmm. down at the bottom, there's links to all the various different resources I've developed. And there's actually a couple of animations I made spe- in conjunction with the Alzheimer's Society yes, of Ireland. I remember. Specifically for caregivers. Yes. Um, so they're all available free and and um, they're in multiple languages too, because I think right. we... we um, uh, must remember as well that we're not solely an English speaking country anymore. You know, there's there's lots of absolutely of multiple languages. Yeah, no, I remember they're absolutely fabulous. And what we'll do is we'll include that oh, website link. in yeah, our yeah, show Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sabina. And actually, uh, we mentioned earlier about the fact that you've written a couple of books, a mm-hmm. uh, hundred days to a younger brain and beating brain fog. So can you tell us a little bit about the books and maybe your recommendations for people who'd like to learn more about brain health? Yeah, they came about a sort of almost subsequent to all the other outreach stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, the first book is a um, hundred days for a younger brain. And basically, in, in a sense, what it does is basically it's generic advice Uh, And a lot of it is just about keeping healthy. Um, What I tried to do in the book was individualize that so people could create their own bespoke uh, brain health lifestyle. Because a lot of people do things that are good for their brain health anyway. I do want to touch on what Etna was talking about, caregivers not having the time to look after themselves because self-care is not selfish, it's sensible. And if we can just get to that stage of realising that if you actually prioritise yourself, you can be a better caregiver uh, for the individual because, I mean, we did research looking at stress in um, spousal caregivers mm-hmm. um, who themselves were old and had health issues. And, um, it, 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 you know, what you end up if you don't look after your own health, particularly with spousal caregivers, is you end up with two very sick people. Um, we definitely need more supports for people providing care. We need actual training for people who are providing care for dementia. Now, they're all such fantastic points. So what I'll do is I'll definitely put the de-stress report into our notes. And you also mentioned about carers kind of learning how to care. And I suppose this is a good point for me to mention the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland's family carer training. So we can put that into oh, the notes do, as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, Sabina, that was all so interesting. So also, I know that you're on top of everything else. You're an ambassador for Hidden Hearing. Can you tell us about your work with Hidden Hearing and about hearing loss as one of the risk factors for dementia? So a number of years ago, we actually produced um, uh, an academic paper, actually. Um, Hidden Hearing approached me. Um, it, it was a no brainer for me um, because getting that message out there of the relationship between hearing loss and dementia risk is really critical. I think, you know, our eyesight starts to deteriorate and we go straight away and we get glasses and some people even wear glasses now that because even if they don't need them because it's become kind of, you know, a fashion accessory. But there's still stigma around hearing aids. The reason, you know, that I am, you know, passionate about trying to get this message across is what the research shows is that if you where hearing aids, um, you know, having been diagnosed with hearing loss and that you need them, it completely mitigates the risk um, associated with dementia. So, you know, please do go get your hearing tested. We need to get our hearing tested regularly because it can be a very subtle decline. And the earlier you catch it, 
um, the better. Um, but the other risk factors um, we probably should briefly mention yes, um, and, and, and maybe finish with a little bit about brain health. Low levels of physical activity, um, uh, midlife high blood pressure, midlife obesity, smoking, um, alcohol consumption, depression, hearing loss, as I've mentioned. Um, there is something about air pollution, social isolation. Um, what am I missing now? Oh, yes. Low levels of education and ment or mental stimulation, which is why lifelong learning is really important. And another one is if you've had a traumatic brain injury, that may actually um, increase your risk as well. Okay. So there's a lot um, there, isn't there? There is a lot there, but you can mm. kind of see how yeah. we can do um, something about those. About some of them, if not all of them. But you know. yeah, and I mean, it's it, you know the thing is, you can be good at all those things and it won't come with an absolute no, guarantee. No. Do you know? Um, and I do know of lots of people who've done those things. But what we kind of understand is that it can change the trajectory of the disease. So um, these risk factors won't prevent the disease developing in your brain, but they will help you to build a healthier brain. Yes. And in the early stages of the disease, it is not about how much pathology you have in your brain, but how much healthy brain you have to cope with okay. that pathology. Right. So um, they won't stop um, the pathology. And that's why we're drawing a distinction now between Alzheimer's disease, which mm -hmm. is the pathology in the brain, and Alzheimer's dementia, which are the symptoms. Okay. So you can have the pathology and stave off symptoms. It doesn't come with an absolute guarantee. At some point you will develop symptoms yes. and probably more severe ones, but you've had longer um, in possession of your health. And that's why it's important that someone gets a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment or early stage dementia to adopt these. Don't see it as a fatalistic diagnosis. You know, by adopting, investing in brain health, you can change the trajectory and improve your prognosis. OK, that's that's a very hopeful and positive note. And Sabina, you mentioned Alzheimer's there. Would would it be the same with other dementias or is it specifically with Alzheimer's? Um, other dementias, there's various different causal pathways. The, the way that the, the way we can speak about it is because the bulk of the research has been done on Alzheimer's okay. disease. That's but other types of dementia, as Ethna mentioned, vascular dementia, you know, heart health is absolutely um, critical because your brain just depends on your cardio, a healthy cardiovascular system to deliver the oxygen and nutrients that your brain needs. So what's good for your heart is good for your brain. And then you mentioned, you know, there's those 12 factors, but Ethna also mentioned them. We know that there's a huge link between sleep um, disruption and dementia. And okay. we don't know the order of that. OK, um, but we do know that you need sleep for healthy brain function and a healthy um, um, cognitive function. And similarly with stress, you know, poorly managed chronic stress. There's nothing wrong. Stress stress in your life makes your life interesting and exciting, but poorly managed chronic stress can actually uh, change the structure of your brain and how it functions, which won't help. And particularly in the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain um, affected in Alzheimer's disease. And too little stress is not good either. Okay. Well, and that's why a lot of people with Alzheimer's disease are left sort of doing nothing. Right. Uh, and your brain can't afford to waste uh, energy on brain cells that are doing nothing. Okay. <laughs> and so you'll be adding to the atrophy. So, 
you know, yeah, doing, doing things, something. boredom and depression are not good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's really interesting. Um, entertain and, and keep active. So I think you've covered everything there, but just sort of as as a finishing, are there have you any other tips maybe for reducing risk or improving brain health? I think basically what I've said there is, you know, to um, to ensure that you get enough sleep and um, uh, to manage stress. And one of the best ways I think that you can manage stress is to have fun, to laugh to smile. Laughter is nature's natural stress buster. And we we made a point myself and my husband of actually having fun with my mum. You know, if he'd walk in and she was looking particularly tired and towards the end, he'd say, oh, my God, Colette, you look terrible. Were you out dancing all night again? (laughs) You know, and she'd get a laugh out of that. And I I think that's important for both the caregiver and uh, the person is not to forget to have fun because it helps manage it helps manage stress. Lovely. That's a really nice, hopeful note for us to finish chatting to you, Sabine. And thank you so much for all your time. And also thanks for sharing that about your mum as well. You're very welcome. So we're going to chat to Sarah now. Hi, Sarah. And thanks for joining us. Thanks, Judy. Thanks for having me here. It's great to have you here. And Sarah, I know your role is Chief Audiologist at Hidden Hearing Ireland, um, but maybe you'd tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to this role and a little bit about what your work entails. Yeah, absolutely. So funnily enough, after school, I actually qualified as an engineer, but my passion was always actually in the science behind audiology and the how it plays such an important role in determining patient pathways and determining what they need for those that might just have auditory concerns or maybe it's for the person who is hard of hearing or maybe even perhaps that they are what we may be a term clinically deaf. Um, I have family members and friends who are very, very dear to me. So seeing them experience and live with hearing loss that, you know, um, seeing the impact that it has. Well, that's something that motivates me. And I suppose at the time, it's actually it's for, it was very hard to get a qualification in audiology in Ireland. So you okay. always had to go abroad. So I went to Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh for my degree and then later on to University College Cork to do my master's then in hearing balance and communication. So I've been practicing as an audiologist for 15 years and I'm in my current role here for five years. Well, I'm actually with Hidden Hearing for six years, but um, in the current role where I'm at Hidden Hearing supporting our wonderful team of hearing care professionals, um, mostly in audiology practices and applications, product training, and again, application of, of the same, moving hearing healthcare into a more modern world that yeah. we're living in and especially after listening do you know what Etna and what Sabina bring to the table today it's tying in that link and kind of bringing research with updating our doing with what research is telling us today. Absolutely. That sounds so interesting and interesting that you started off as an engineer but I would imagine that probably feeds nicely into it you know the idea of how, how it's all changed and modernised. It definitely yeah I think it gave me you know, um, it's it's a logistical feel to it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but being able to work it into how you work technology with a human being. Yes. Um, so, y- you know, you have physiological factors to consider and you have emotional factors to consider. But it definitely, I think, gave me that foundation of how, how you know, 
what testing procedure should actually be used here um, what technology is going to work here so it definitely didn't go against me yeah, yeah that's great oh well well done sounds like you've done really well and thank you um, and Sarah in a lot of cases hearing loss is seen as something inevitable as we age is age the biggest risk factor for hearing difficulties and hearing loss or are there other factors that people should be aware of Okay, so there's definitely other factors that people should be aware of. And I think that's probably one of the most, um, I suppose, that's the one that we all associate hearing loss with. But firstly, just I suppose to develop that awareness, hearing loss can happen at any age. Okay, absolutely any age. And I think we associate hearing loss with aging in many cases because it's actually the exposures that we've had earlier in life that are impacting us now later Mm -hmm. in life. And it's actually in the I know the 2016 CSO that actually indicated the prevalence of hearing loss significantly increases at the age of 50 years. And that's something that's actually one of the campaigns that Hidden Hearing run. It's um, test your ears at 50 years. And it's about developing that awareness because we want people to be preventative. It's absolutely fantastic to be able to see when I see people that are coming into me you know, in their 30s and 40s and you're able to say you're within a normal hearing threshold. You know, that they're addressing that concern early. I take my hat off to them because it's absolutely brilliant because now it's going to allow for earlier, early intervention. And I think that really, again, you know, that ties in very nicely with what we're discussing as well here today. And especially when you when you consider the aging process, what kind of quality of life are will our older adults have, you know, us or me even as an older adult in years to come. So, you know, it is about that um, definitely education, knowledge, awareness and about how we work that into interdisciplinary care as well, amongst other fields where hearing loss can impact. Mm, Okay, that's very interesting. And Sabina mentioned earlier about how, you know, hearing aids have got much more modern and about apps and so on. So, I mean, obviously, technology is advancing all the time. Is this the case with diagnosing hearing problems also? And maybe you talk about the advancements in hearing aids as well that Sabina mentioned there. Yes, absolutely. And I think just just to the other factors that are there are things like smoking or the toxic drugs that when you experience a critical illness, um, uh, there's noise exposure, noise pollution is a big one. Um, there can be things like um, other pathologies of the ear, like otosclerosis or physical conditions, um, viral infections, when you can experience sudden onset hearing loss, which really shouldn't be ignored because that's one of the ones that can actually be reversed if it's treated on time and when we lean into our ENT services with ears, nose and throat specialists. So I suppose before bringing in that message, before we even look at technology, the message that I'd like to deliver to people is that it's not just technology that mm-hmm. has advanced significantly over the last 10 years. It's actually audiometric practice and it's about how we approach a patient and it's about looking at a patient holistically and not looking at, you know, there's different audiometric assessments there that are going to help us to determine what's the what's the type of hearing loss you have, what is the degree of hearing loss that's there, um, but what are your lifestyle needs? What do you need as a person and what's happening in your life? Where's your biggest struggle? Where's your biggest strain? How can we address that? And I think as well, you know, like it's about our hearing aids beneficial. They're not always the answer. Okay. And I think I've seen people who have, you know, put put a visit off for six months, even two years and you go, yeah, it's a blockage or mm, maybe actually, you know, there's a little bit of fluid in your middle ear and going to refer you to your ENT 
um, ENT services and you know that could be something that might be rectified or you know um, assisted improved certainly maybe with grommets and things like that so it's just about you know before you even look at technology it's just important to understand address the actual look the, the hearing assessment is really important because that is going to impact on your everyday communication so it's probably in my own opinion it's probably something that should be assessed across all medical disciplines um, when we look at technology, technology today is incredible. As Sabina said earlier, they're so small, they're so discreet. You know, there really is um, an answer or a solution for, for most hearing needs. Um, treating hearing loss sooner rather than later is going to have a far more beneficial, um, you know, influence on outcomes for you as an end user. But hearing instruments now, um, and I think we work very closely with our, our parent company, Demont, in evidencing and bringing groundbreaking technology to the end users that we see. So the latest technology is even built with DNNs, deep neural networks, which is basically artificial intelligence. And that's a real game changer because it just changes the way we process sound to make it more meaningful, open sound scenes. And it is based on brain hearing technology and how we can actually support a person and reduce the burden of hearing loss um, about keeping sounds really much more distinct in even in the most challenging environments. And that brings into play things like, you know, empowering a patient and building them for success to be able to manage their own hearing loss. So, you know, it's something that you can very, very easily live with without, you know, much less frustrations. And um, so one is like your app, you can I'm wearing hearing instruments and I go into a noisy place. I mean, I can take out my phone, I can go to my app. I can not just only reduce or increase volume, but now I can actually tilt the balance as well and, you know, reduce volume and maybe make them a little bit sharper to, you know, uh, to offer more clarity in that environment. Um, and that's just a temporary basis. And it's really important for me to be able to do that as a person using hearing instruments. So then the other aspect is, I suppose, it's streaming phone calls. I go to work every day, do you know, I can still take that team's call. That's what's important to it, somebody with a hearing loss. It's even for somebody that, you know, I want to FaceTime, you know, my loved one that's living abroad. So it's it's all of those small things that, you know, I suppose that in the world of hearing healthcare, but in terms of the technology aspects, it really has come on leaps and bounds, even TV adapters. You know, for those for for those with loved ones that you know struggle with the TV or it still might be uploaded, they might need further assistance. So assistive technologies are available and they do offer much more additional support in those um, in difficult environments like uh, with remote mics, you know, for the student that's in the lecture hall and doesn't want to be, you know, an equi room challenged by distance. At least now we can stream the lecturer's voice directly through their hearing aids. TV adapters will do exactly the same thing. And it really is an educational piece for everybody. So I would definitely lean into audiology services and go and have a chat about it and see what's there. It's all about learning. And there's even devices that will actually now maintain your hearing aids for you. So, you know, it is it's it's ever changing and it's becoming much more wonderful is, you know, the way that I feel about it anyway, that there's so many different tools and techniques that can help you every day. Wow, there certainly are. My goodness, there's a lot there, isn't there? And I mean, obviously, you've talked about a lot of those things that would help somebody with hearing loss or hearing difficulties. And I know our angle today is 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 focusing on hearing loss as one of the risk factors for dementia. But in general, hearing loss is very debilitating if it's not dealt with and it could be very isolating. 
Can you explain what hearing loss might be like to live with, especially if somebody wasn't dealing with it? Absolutely. So hearing impairment, it does have a very negative impact on an individual's overall well-being, mostly because it impacts us so much in our occupational needs, your educational needs and um, cognition. Um, it's our it, it really impacts us on us socially and emotionally. And even latest research is looking at how it impacts us physically as well. And again, there's a lot of different hypotheses around that. Are we missing auditory cues in our environment? Is it extra strain on our brains? And is it that lack of social engagement? Because we do withdraw when we develop um, hearing difficulties. But and I think what's important as well to mention is that when we're living with hearing loss, it's really, really important to remember your family and your friends and your support network, because to describe what it's like to live with hearing loss, one of the most common ones that patients report to me every day would be. I don't want to go out anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't like being in background noise. I I know somebody's talking to me, but I can't make out what they're saying. It's muffled. And that's because you most likely have some level of a hearing difficulty. Doesn't mean you're deaf. You're just hard of hearing and you have a challenge maybe in high frequencies that's impacting your clarity and it can most likely be easily resolved or assisted. Um, taking that strain away. You don't have to, you know, we live in a world, thankfully, where, where that doesn't need to be a struggle anymore. But I think the other flip side of that coin, Judy, is that you've got family and friends. And I experienced this actually as well um, with a very with a very close friend. And they'd say they don't care about me. Why did they ignore me? Or, you know, because I might not have heard you right. or, you know, maybe because my confidence is you know, low because I'm not sure of what you said. Did you say shoes or did you say choose? And now for somebody who's hard of hearing, it's really hard to respond to that because, you know, you're going to be embarrassed if you get it wrong. Am I giving the right answer or maybe am I even answering appropriately? So just I think that for for anybody who suspects that, you know, somebody in their lives might have a hearing difficulty, just be mindful of that, you yes. know, and just remember exactly it is a person there mm -hmm. it's it's their voice it's their thoughts it's their feelings so I, I think we can just get very frustrating going for God's sake I, I've told you and did you not hear me and why didn't you answer me and things like that and it's you know just learning different adapting our communication techniques there as well yeah excellent that's a lot of another lot of great information thank you so much Sarah and could you talking about the idea of protecting hearing and actually Sabina talked about it earlier about, you know, loud music and so on. But could you talk to us a little bit more about that, about what people should do protecting their to protect their hearing or what they should do if they feel they're beginning to have hearing difficulties? Yeah, well, I think for me, knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important that you understand your own hearing status and um, what's your hearing threshold physically, you know, what what's what are your ears looking like Um, what's your exposure? So what's your hearing health exposure? Leaning into audiology services and going to your local audiologist and having that conversation, expressing your concerns. Um, it just it can be such peace of mind for so many people. Um, prevention measures would include things like immunizations are important, really, I suppose, protection to loud noise levels. And this is one I love because, you know, what I've seen so much in the last couple of years in comparison to 10 and 15 years ago are people coming into us and saying things like, you know, when I'm working with my power tools or I'm a musician or I am cutting the grass, is there any, you know, can you give me ear moles that will just attenuate that noise? And absolutely, yes. 
you know, and that's about being proactive. And again, that, you know, again, I take my hat off just for for that level of awareness that's there. Um, reviewing maybe sometimes we need to review medications. Um, identification, that early hearing screening is absolutely, definitely, I think everybody, the younger we are, the earlier that we get that hearing assessment because it does bring in that it's a modifiable risk factor in what we're discussing here today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more we know about it and then the earlier the identification will be and the earlier that we can actually be proactive and do something. And that even goes for not just with hearing losses, but for general ear management as well. For people, you know, it might just be a wax blockage. Maybe there's a little inf- an ear infection that's brewing or something that just requires you know, a visit to ENT services as well. So, you know, it is there's nothing it's nothing scary. It's, yeah. you know, and a lot of people that come into us for their screenings, they love the fact that they get to look inside their own ear because we do that with video otoscopy and the the hearing test. It's not it, it doesn't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And you just learn so much about what's actually happening and what's going on. And I think that can be a game changer for most people. It's probably um, something that people should do. As, as a matter of course, rather than just when they need to. Yeah, I think so. Like when we see figures coming out um, as hearing care professionals where hearing loss is the third la- largest years lived with disability, I think a lot of that is because it's it's an invisible disability. Yeah. You know, we don't see a physical or visible symptoms. And that's why we kind of have to take it into our own hands and be proactive. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably a message that I would like to deliver today as well. You might feel OK, great if you do, then go and at least you have a baseline and it just, you know, it's it's all about kind of trying to link everything together and, and taking care of ourselves now for later. Yeah, absolutely. And Sarah, Sabina has talked about recommendations for maintaining brain health. And obviously you've talked about looking after your hearing and being aware of and dealing with declining hearing or hearing difficulties. But we don't want people who are listening to feel worried by this discussion. It's important to risk to stress that these are risk factors that we can do something about. But for overall learning, is there a documentation or a website where information on hearing loss or hearing difficulties is available for people to refer to? Yep, Judy, I'm going to actually and just I was going to make that note as well, because for anybody that would like to avail of free hearing consultations, so I can give you um, Hidden Hearing's website is www.hiddenhearing.ie. For those who prefer to pick up the phone and talk to us one to one, that number is 1-800-882-884. And then um, the World Health Organization, I think, keep us updated. Um, so that's a really good website to go and visit as well, just to get, you know, it's it's all your information. Um, it's very factual and it, it offers guidance for general public as well as other um, healthcare professionals as well. Yeah, so. OK, great. Thank you. And I'll include those in the show notes as well. And I think also we should mention the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland's helpline if people have concerns about their memory or cognition or any concerns at all. The number there is one 341 But obviously, if anybody has a hearing or a speech difficulty, the helpline is also available by email at helpline at alzheimer.ie. So I think we're going to wrap up at that point and just say again that 
while this podcast is to provide information about research and expertise into risk factors for dementia, it is very important for people listening that if you have any concerns about your own brain health, you contact your GP for advice or any concerns about your hearing, you contact a hearing care professional such as Hidden Hearing or the Irish Society of Hearing Aid Audiologists. So I'd like to thank very much Dr. Ethna Heffernan, Sarah Sheehan and Dr. Sabina Brennan for joining us today. It's been a really interesting discussion and thank you for all your expertise and thank you for giving your time. This podcast series is kindly sponsored by Hidden Hearing. And we are very grateful for their support so that the lived experience of caring for someone with dementia is heard. To learn more about their work, please visit hiddenhearing.ie.